Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When we think about this Palm Sunday, it was probably the most appropriate moment in all of the whole gospel story, the story of Jesus, because the people were recognizing that the king had come to him. We are in a series of messages right now where we're looking at those events leading up to the resurrection of Jesus, which we will celebrate next Sunday, but in truth, we celebrate every day. Because without our risen Savior, we have no hope. But because of him, we always have hope. Today, in our message, we're going to look at Mark chapter 15, where in some ways the people failed to recognize exactly who was before them. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word this morning. Father, thank you so much for your Son, Jesus, our Savior. Thank you so much uh, for sending him to save us, to rescue us. God, we ask that today you would guide our thinking. You would guide our thoughts. Your word would just be etched deeply in us so that we wouldn't continue to fail, uh, or that we wouldn't continue to miss what you have given to us in your Son. Let us see all that he is and all that he brings. Father, fill this time and help me as I bring your word to declare it clearly as I should. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As I mentioned, we are moving through this time as we look at the cross. In Mark chapter 15, we see these events that happened on the night that Jesus uh, was betrayed and going further into uh, those morning hours of the crucifixion. And we want to look at that today. And what I want to say is, it struck me this year, in a way as I look back through the story, it struck me how the people had an opportunity to see God, see the Messiah, see the Christ, see all that God had wanted for them, and they missed it. They missed it. They, they failed to recognize all that God was doing. They failed to recognize the Messiah who was in their midst. So let's look together in Mark chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. It just says this, very early in the morning, the chief priests the most religious of the religious, the elders, the ones who knew God's promises the best, the teachers of the law, the ones who had been talking about this Messiah forever, and the whole Sanhedrin, those who made all the religious decisions, they made their plans. And they bound Jesus. This is after he was arrested. They bound Jesus, and they led him over to Pilate, the Roman governor. Verse 2, are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate? You have said so, Jesus replied. Later, in that same chapter, Pilate, now realizing that the Jewish leadership were trying to kill Jesus, were wanting to, to, to have him murdered, have him executed, to get him out of the way. Just because of jealousy, Pilate concocts his own plan and decides, maybe I can get Jesus released this way. And Pilate says, do you want me to release this king of the Jews? Because he knew, it said, out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. Verse 12, so what do I do then with the one you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. 
Crucify him, they shouted. Crucify him. Why, verse 14, why? What crime has he committed, Pilate asked. And they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. Crucify him. <laughs> Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Boy, in this story, I think I am struck with the question, or the, the, the statement, if Pilate had only known, if Pilate had only realized who was on trial before him, if Pilate had only known that the one that, according to Jesus' own words, was appointed to be judge, and Paul says appointed to be judge of both the living and the dead, the one who would ultimately be the one who would, be, when we stand before God in eternity, be the ones that say, yeah, this one is mine, this one belongs in Zion, this one has put their faith in me, this one, yeah, as all of eternity. If Pilate only knew that this, the ultimate judge, was standing before him, would he have been falling on his knees? Would he have been quaking in his boots? Would he have come off and taken off his, his judge's gown or his judge's robe? Would he have left his station to be humbled before the final ultimate judge? If Pilate had only known I wonder if these religious leaders, these Sanhedrin, if they had only known as they concocted their plans, as they tried to scheme, as they tried to bring Jesus to a point of being bound and ultimately crucified, if they only knew that they were fulfilling God's ultimate plans, if they were fulfilling God's ultimate ways for salvation. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it talks about this Jesus. It talks about the one who they were looking at. It talks about the one that they were calling King of the Jews. And it says in Colossians that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, that he is the head, and all things were made by him and for him, that he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have supremacy. Pilate's asking, are you the one, you know, called king of the Jews? Are you some kind of political revolutionary? Are you, are you someone who wants to I don't know, overthrow Caesar? Do you know my power? Do you know that I'm the one that can judge you? Do you know that I am important here? The one by whom and for whom the universe exists was standing right there. The one who holds the universe together was standing right there there. The one by the reason the atoms don't just fly apart, the reason the subatomic molecules don't disintegrate, Jesus was standing right there. If he had only known who was before him, that so that in all things, Jesus might have supremacy. Hebrews chapter 1 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. He sustains all things by His powerful word, and after He has provided purification for sins, He, Jesus, would sat, sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. Pilate, sitting in his judge's throne, his judge's seat, was seeing and back casting judgment 
on the one who sits ultimately at the right hand of God. Oh, I'm struck with the irony. Oh, if he had only known. Well, the story goes on. (laughs) Mark 15, verse 16. The soldiers led Jesus away to the palace. It's called the Praetorium. And they called together this whole company of soldiers. Hey, look who we got today. We got the one they call King of the Jews. Hey, let's, this is going to be fun. We're going to be able to really do our best. And it says in verse 17 that they put a purple robe, a, a, a robe that would look royal, a, 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 a robe to almost mock him, a, a purple robe on him. And they twisted a crown of thorns and they set it on him, and they began to call, Hail, King of the Jews. Now again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff. They spit on him. And oh, don't miss this. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. Oh, King of the Jews. Oh, hail. They're mocking him. They beat him. Verse 20, and when they had mocked him, they took off the royal robe. They put his own clothes back on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Are you struck this morning? Are are, are you amazed this morning? Are you somewhat bewildered this morning at the irony that these soldiers, if they had only known who was before them, if they had only known that they are putting on a royal robe on the one who truly is royal, if they only knew that they were putting the crown of thorns on Jesus, In Revelation chapter 4, we see this image. It says that that, that the Lord is high and exalted, and and, and and that there's a glassy sea before him, and that all of the expanse of heaven is there surrounding him, and all of the angelic beings, the 24 elders, they all begin to cry out, Hosanna, and they throw their crowns down before God. They throw their crowns at God's feet, and... It's inspiring to a song, an old song. You might know it. It's the very first one in your hymnal. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In verse 2, it says, holy, holy, holy. All of the saints adore you. They surround you and in front of the glassy sea, casting down their golden crowns. That the saints of God, the people of God, the angelic beings, whatever reward, whatever crowns in heaven are thrown down at Jesus' feet. This one that they took thorns and pushed into his brow, he is the one that we crown with new crowns. He is the one who deserves all the glory. He is the one that deserves all of the honor. These soldiers put a crown of thorns on his head. Oh, the irony, the one who deserves every crown. You had to think, these soldiers must have felt pretty powerful. I mean, honestly, we could do a psychological analysis, and probably these soldiers were dealing with some pretty big insecurities. Why would you beat this man? Why would you abuse this man? Why would you be so cruel? There was no reason to do this mocking for this one who would just, you were taking him out to be crucified, to be killed. Why would you even do such a horrific act? Oh, these soldiers must have felt so powerful. They must have felt so important. Or deep inside, they must have felt so inadequate. I wonder if they had only known that this is the Jesus who earlier that evening 
who earlier the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane told his disciples to put the swords away because he, in Matthew chapter 26, says, do you not know that at this very moment I can, my father would put at my disposal over 12 legions of angels? 12! The entire Roman army at that time was a that would have been about half that size. And by the way, these are angels. I mean, 12 legions. 12 legions of angels at his disposal. Here, these soldiers felt so powerful. These soldiers felt so strong. They were part of the strongest army in the world. They were the part of the ones who had conquered all of the known world. These guys were powerful. They were in charge. But the reality was... Oh my goodness, the one before them that they were mocking, the one before them that they were abusing at any moment could make the summons and all of creation would fall at his feet because he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of glory. He is the great commander-in-chief of the Lord of hosts, of the army of hosts. He is the one that we should be, well... In Psalm chapter 2, it says this, The Lord God says to the Messiah, Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. As they beat him with rods, as they beat him with sticks, it says, No, we're to kiss the Son, lest he be angry with us. That's what Psalm 2 says. He is the one of all power. He was the one of all glory. Can you imagine these mocking voices these mocking actions to the king of glory. Oh, the mercy of Jesus to hold back. Oh, the mercy and compassion and grace. Because at some point, I think I would have just been, you know, that's enough. That's enough. The mercy goes beyond that. You see, in verse 25, it says that at nine in the morning, when they crucified Jesus, the written notice of the charge against him, once again, just to mock, king of the Jews was put over his head. They crucified two rebels with him, two criminals, two thieves, two, two people who deserved to die on the crosses. One was on his right and the other was on his left. Now those who passed by, who were just coming into the city, seeing these men who were being crucified, hurled insults. And they hurled insults to Jesus in particular, shaking their heads. And they're saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it back in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers, oh, they just had to go out there and see. They had to watch for themselves. They mocked him. He saved others, they said. <laughs> they are admitting all of the miracles. They're admitting the lives that were changed. He saved others, but he can't save himself. As if somehow that's an insult that he saved others. Oh, if they only knew. Let this Messiah, they said, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we might see and believe. And those with him also heaped insults on him. If those religious leaders, if those criminals had only known, if they had only known 
that Jesus was, was taking their sins upon Himself. And when they were claiming, come down from the cross and save yourself, that Jesus was actually saving them, that He would save all who would believe in Him. When they say, come down so that we might see and believe, that they could actually see and believe the fulfillment of Scripture, the fulfillment of God's plan, that they actually right now could put their hearts and their lives in the hands of Jesus, who is going through the act of atoning for their sins, paying the ultimate price, removing from them the curse, the punishment that we all deserve, that he was saving the world. The one who came to seek and to save the lost was dying to save their souls. If only they would respond in faith. If only they would believe. He saved others. He can't save himself. Oh no. If they only knew, this is the Jesus who it says, he is the one who, he is the one who Jesus himself said, God has given me authority to lay down my life and the authority to take it up again. Oh, he could save himself, but he was dying so that he might save us all. In John 3, Jesus is talking with one of those religious leaders, a man named Nicodemus, and he says, look, the whole law has been talking about what I'm going to do. He says, just as Moses lifted up a snake in the desert, the people had rebelled, the people had sinned, the people had mocked God, and God sent some snakes that were biting the people, and they were getting poisoned. Some of them were dying. And God says, make a snake. Put it, a bronze one, put it up on a pole, and if the people will look and believe, they'll be healed. What a silly story. Jesus said, no, no, no. You've got to realize that was about me. I am the one who is being lifted up on the cross. I am the one that they will look and see and believe and hear these people mocking him. We're looking at the cross, seeing the snake on the pole, seeing the Messiah crucified, seeing just as God had predicted, just as God had foretold, but they weren't believing. They weren't responding in faith. Jesus goes on to say that just as the Son of Man must also then be lifted up on the cross, that the one who believes might have eternal life in him, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son, Jesus said, to, into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This morning, I wonder how many of us are kind of like those Pharisees, kind of like those religious leaders, kind of like those criminals who are quick to mock Jesus, quick to mock this religious belief and say, oh, well, can Jesus do anything? Can he save? Boy, I just wish he would do something. And in truth, Jesus was on the cross doing it all. The phrase yesterday, for some of you all who know, um, I was at a funeral yesterday. Uh, um, David, our, our, we love him, and his, his father has passed away recently, and uh, we were at the funeral, and what kept coming up in that funeral over and over again, the phrase that stuck with me over and over again is, I'm just sorrowful for my brother. I'm watching this family rejoice. And they kept saying, the finished work of Christ. The finished work of Christ. What Christ has done on the cross was final and complete. Jesus on the cross had finished all of the atonement. He has paid for all the sins. He has taken it all away. The finished work of Christ is what we rejoice in. The finished work of Christ is the foundation we stand on. The finished work of Christ is the only reason we have hope now and hope for eternity. It's the finished work of Christ. What the people were saying, Jesus, come, show another miracle, save yourself, do something that we could be impressed by. And all the irony 
if they only knew that that was the finished work. That was the saving work. That was the, the action as he died on the cross that would save us from our sins. Well, in verse 33, we see the end of this crucifixion. It says, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some who were standing there heard this, they said, oh, Eli, Eli, that, he must be calling Elijah. Yeah, yeah, listen, I think he's calling for Elijah to come down and rescue him. And some ran, and they, they filled a sponge with wine vinegar. They put it on a staff, and they offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. If only the people had known if only they recognized what I know Jesus recognized, that when he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not crying out for God and saying, God, you've left me. I don't know why this happened. Oh, that is not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus knows exactly why this is happening. He's quoting from Psalm 22, verse 1, where it just says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because when you read further in that psalm, when you read on in that psalm, it explains very much what was going to happen to the Messiah. It talks about wild bulls. They, they, they've surrounded me. All these voices are mocking me. They're saying he saved others. Why can't he save himself? Oh, he was right there. He goes on to say in Psalm 22, this Psalm of David, a thousand years before the crucifixion, a thousand years before Jesus would die on the cross, David prophesies about the crucifixion and says, they have pierced my hands and my feet. My tongue is sticking to the roof of my mouth. They are casting lots for my clothing. The very images, the very things that happened in the crucifixion are all portrayed clearly in Psalm 22. When Jesus is on the cross, he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's preaching to the crowd, saying, you are doing this very thing to me. Oh, if they only had known, only if they had only recognized, only if they had only seen that Jesus was fulfilling the scripture right then. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we have doubts. Sometimes we, we wonder, is this real? Sometimes we wonder, oh my gosh, do I really believe someone rose from the dead? Brothers and sisters, that ended for me when I finally saw all of the predictions of the Messiah, all the ways Jesus had fulfilled thousands of years of prophecy, that it was all wrapped up in him, and that in him only uh, was salvation, in him only were all the promises fulfilled, and him is life. Once I saw that God had been giving us assurance and messages and proof all along through history that Jesus is his son, I was like, oh, there it is. There it is. And my doubts have never come back. If only they saw. If only they saw that Jesus was quoting scripture. This is what Peter proclaimed in Acts 2, 23. He says, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. By God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge so that you, with the help of wicked men, he's talking about the Roman soldiers, you put Jesus to death, nailing him onto the cross. Peter says it was God's deliberate plan and purpose. By his foreknowledge, God knew this is what needed to happen. This is what had to happen. This was the only way to bring salvation for the whole world. Oh, if people only knew. In verse 38, after the crucifixion, after Jesus had breathed his last, 
It says the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The way to God was made open. The, the holy of holies, the place that only the high priest could go, was now open to us all. The temple was torn from top to bottom. And a centurion, one of those Roman soldiers who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how Jesus died and said, Surely this man is the Son of God. Amen. Surely this man is the Son of God. This morning, our worship service, I, this hasn't been a normal sermon. This isn't what it usually looks like. Little stories, little illustrations. Hope you remember. Because I don't want you to remember anything but Jesus. I hope you see him for who he is. I hope you see God's eternal plan to bring salvation, not only to you, but to the world. I hope that you see with eyes wide open how we have been the ones who have mocked who have turned away, who have not valued the Son of God, the heir of all things, the King not only of the Jews, but the King of the universe, the one who not only could save others, but has offered to save your soul by his own sacrifice and death on the cross, by his resurrection, giving us life. Today, would you give your life to Jesus? If you haven't already surrendered to him, would you give your life to him? Today, you're a believer, would you remember how others mocked? And would you remember how we can be mocking voices too? How we, we can be those who turn away? How we can be those who don't recognize that Jesus is the King and deserves all of us? Today, I'm going to invite you into a moment of remembrance. What we do as Christians, we take time to remember what Christ did on the cross, how his body was broken and his blood was spilt. I'm going to ask, Scott's going to come uh, back for us. And if you don't have one of our Lord's Supper uh, communion supplies, if you want to slip up your hand, uh, the ushers have some for you. I uh, would be happy to share with you. But before we do, as Scott plays, I want you to take time to remember all of the voices that surrounded Jesus. Those who thought they were powerful, those who thought that they, they had seen it all, those who thought that Christ was not able to save, would you take the time to remember what Jesus died, or how Jesus died, what he suffered for us? Would you take time to remember the great love that God has poured onto our lives? tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
scripture tells us in the same way. After the supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul tells us that every time we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Today we've been proclaiming the death of Jesus and all that was involved to take away our sins, to give us eternal life, to restore us to God's position of being his image, all that Jesus did. How will you respond this morning? Some of you might need to respond by recommitting your life to Jesus. Some of you, you've never chosen to follow Jesus. Maybe today is your day. The altar is going to be open if you want to come and you want to pray. If you want to speak with me, I'll be down here by the front. You respond as God is calling you. You respond. Don't wait.